there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five ball, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, walk into the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the winningest podcast in Braves history, the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our newest friends at Symbol. With our new sponsor, you guys will definitely love them. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams just like stocks. And every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Like, I don't know, maybe if you had decided to buy heavy on the Braves heading into that Milwaukee series, you could have been doing very well. You should have gone to www.symbol.com. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams at www.symbull.com. Create a free account, and when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code XYZ to make your deposit risk-free. That's symbol.com with the promo code SD, and your deposit will be risk-free, or XYZ. That means even if you lose money, Symbol is going to refund your initial deposit. No questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today. Today's episode is also brought to you by our good friends at Spotify Greenroom. We've talked about them all the time here on the show. Spotify Greenroom is the best, and as far as I'm aware, only audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversations that you listen to every single day. Get in on them and be a part of them. It's even better experiences. Share your own experiences and takes on the app. You can link your own Twitter feed. You can build your own following. Your chance to be featured on the Platinum Sombrero shows, as well as any of the other hosts, Chatting Average, who, you know, they're lesser than us, but hey, you know, sometimes they're kind of fun too. But you can find them on Spotify Greenroom all along, all season long. Go download that app and get started with it today. So, first things first, obviously, uh, Doc, we can never lose. The Braves make it to the NLCS again. Uh, that makes us pretty much the winningest podcast in the history of Braves Twitter. Uh, don't... I. I have my own facts on that. I don't need you to check them. They're true. Trust me, 100%. Um, 
how, how did you feel, by the way, getting into that game just a little bit? There was so much riding on that game. I, I don't know that I've been that nervous for a game in a very long time. It was the most tense four games of baseball. Oh, my God. Like, it's there were certain aspects of it that felt way more stressful even than the NLCS was last year. Um, just when you've got a series with such great pitching like that, and, and it was just as advertised, man. Milwaukee's pitching was so good. And they, we have a very robust offense, and they shut us down. So every everything that happened, whether it was the the jock home run or, um, you know, just be, in game four when we started stringing hits together and started kind of just manufacturing runs, it all just seemed so significant and obviously ended with whew, one of the just coolest sports moments that I've ever seen. Uh, ever we're certainly going to talk about that, but I just it feels so good. I'm so flooded with joy. You know, it's the the tension and release. You know, the the more tension there is, then the better the release feels. And uh, geez, I probably could have said that better, but you know what I mean. Like it 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 really just feels like now that we got the the Milwaukee series out of the way, you know, we still have to still have to see who's going to win Game Five. That'll be tonight. And um, uh, either way, whether it's San Francisco or L.A. Bring it on! I I I'm feeling cocky now. It went from uh, the, being a fan of a team that didn't make it over 500 until like August 5th, and now all of a sudden I'm like, we want Bama. Actually, they lost too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a weird setup because when you're when you're talking about this season, I think most people this is the one year where most people were siding on the pessimist Braves fan side of saying, well, this team's not going anywhere. We're not going to call it any names, obviously, because we're above doing that. But there were a lot of people that were, were wanting to sell off on the team. And you and I pretty consistently were, were two of the voices saying, no, it's it's still an imminently winnable division. Take your shot in the playoffs. And Alex took a shot, which we can argue. Like there, there's a lot being made that Alex made. Like, you know, he went crazy on the moves and pulled some off-the-wall moves. And I, I don't see it that way. I see he made a lot of very low-risk, potentially high-reward moves. And it paid off for him exactly the way that he was hoping for. And that's awesome. And I think that's one of the things that, that he was able to do that without changing the way that he normally goes about his philosophy. But it worked out for the Braves. And they were able to get to the postseason. And they matched up with a team that was extremely difficult as far as the pitching aspect, but did leave something to be desired offensively. And it allowed you to, to show off the area that you wanted to improve the most from last year. And that's one of the things about this Braves team, as I've, I've said this a million times, they just don't really have an area of weakness. Now, they've had spots that have struggled at times, but overall, when you're breaking down the talent per area on the rosters, they're all right around each other. There's not really any spot that you would say, oh, this spot's an 8, this spot's a 5. Like They're all relatively close together, especially in the condensed playoff format. That That is the point right there. Like If you could point to anything, you would say it's... It's the bullpen, but even the way that playoffs go, you're just using your best guys. So, you know, you start to wonder in game four, like, okay, we've seen Matzik every time, we've seen Jackson every time, we've seen Smith in games two, three, and four. You know, having the having the built-in days off in there is really good, and I and I keep having to remind myself that that we have those again this year because 2020, 2020 didn't have those. And and I think, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why the Braves are able to win that series. Yeah, me too. I'm not certain they perform nearly as well 
if it's last year's version of the playoffs. Well, if if it had been last year, then you, instead of they probably would have run Anoa out for Game Four, and we we saw how how that went. We we've been huge Anoa fans all season, and he he just didn't have it. So, um, and he hasn't for a while he, now, frankly, since he came back from that injury. I don't know if he rushed himself back because it was his throwing hand. So it's possible that he still doesn't have the right feeling for his fastball because that's what's alarming to me it's why that's why i've been saying that i think it's either he's not right with his hand or his legs are dead because one of the key tells on that is he's pretty much gone exclusively to the slider like we've seen him abandon the fastball for vast swaths of his starts and one of the reasons that he was so effective before was that he threw his fastball in his sliders at almost the exact same rate it was like four was it like 46 percent fastball uh, and like 45% slider and then like 3% change up or something like that. But it was essentially throwing the fastball and the slider almost the exact same amount of time. So he time. So he didn't have a pitch that you could say, all right, most likely it's going to be this pitch because he was throwing the same amount. That has not been the case in the second half for him. And you know me, I may be the biggest Waskar fan in Braves country. Um, but even me at this point, I'm saying something's either not right or he's kind of hit that wall fatigue-wise and probably need to go ahead and and consider him in low leverage spots from now on. Yeah, and at least until next year. Yeah, I, I would I would kind of be surprised if he if he makes the NLCS roster. But but to that end, you know, when you've got when you've got the the days off, it allows you to to line up all of your best guys. And so if there's any particular gripe about the Braves roster, it's not one particular area. It tends to be for individual players. And when the playoffs come around, you can cut the fat. You can get rid of, I know Kevin Smith, Josh Tomlin. I know these guys are not there right now, but, you know, these guys would not have made it onto the playoff roster this year. So when you can trim the fat the and get rid of the low-hanging fruit, this team is actually designed really well to make a run like this. Because if you only have to face Freed Morton Anderson in some configuration and you know, you're you're facing Matzik Jackson Smith as opposed to facing like I don't know, Nate Jones? Or or somebody that's still around like like <laughs> I like Edger, Ed, Edger Santana. Santana. You know, Santana's fine during the regular season, but during the playoffs it's like it gets a little trickier there. So I, I just I was really impressed by um by the grittiness. You know, playoff games are hard. I mean they're hard enough on us just watching, right? So to have have teams in there like games like game four where you go down two nothing and you come back and then you go down four two and you come back and then you you get the the home run in the eighth and it's just that is a hard fought win you know just so gutsy and and I don't know if they win this series if not for last year against LA that was such valuable playoff experience for so many of those guys to where you see somebody like Jock Peterson. And and Snit talks about, you know, he has no heartbeat. Well, yeah, because he's been in the playoffs every year since he's ever been in the league. You know what I mean? He's used to the spotlight. So the more exposure you get to it, and and somebody like Charlie as well. That's why they ran him out for game four. He's big game Charlie. And the more you see Max getting that experience, the more you see Freddie getting that experience, you know, it bodes well, not just for this year, but for future runs as well. But I want to talk about Freddie Freeman because he did a thing. He did a big thing. Sure. Now, before we get into that part of it, I do want to say that I've been kind of mulling something over about playoff baseball, uh, and I kind of want to run it by you. Tell me. So, you know, we have this this idea about, you know, playoff players, guys that lift their game in the postseason. 
one of the things that I've been rolling around in the back of my head and just really haven't vocalized it or anything like that is that it's not really about elevating your game in the playoffs. For some people, I think they can certainly do that. But I think more than anything, it's the guys that have been there enough to where it's 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 just another game where it's not, you know, oh man, it's the postseason where you're able to go about that game the same way you would if it was a game in the middle of May. And I think that part is more challenging uh, to, to be able to be in that aspect as opposed to players who, you know, try to elevate themselves because it's the postseason, it's time for me to shine, and in so doing, actually play tighter and don't play quite as well. So I wonder if instead of it's more of a find guys that perform better and lift their game, if it's more find guys who who have that, that no heartbeat where just because it's a game in October versus a game in May, their their perception of the game doesn't really change. The moment is the same moment for them all the way throughout, so they're able to stay just as relaxed down two runs in a game four of the NLDS as they would if they were up two uh, in a meaningless game in May. And you look on the Milwaukee side of it, you know, they made they had a team in 2018 that made a run. You know, they made it to the NLCS, but that a lot of those guys have fallen off the roster. 2019, they lost in the wild card game. I think they made it to the wild card round last year and got eliminated as well. So every year that they're turning over the roster, if they're not populating it with guys that have some level of playoff experience, then you run the risk of, you know, it's going to come down to somebody who's just completely tight as wound up, as you said. And, and our guys that, you know, they, it's hard to tell how much of it was nerves and how much of it was, it's really hard to face Corbin Burns. It's really hard to face Brandon Woodruff. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think we might give the playoff aspect a little too much credit when we could also just say, hey, guys, you're also facing the best. Right, team. exactly. And and the Brewers' offense is not great, but our pitching made them look horrible. You know what I mean? So, and that that's... that's Except for Rowdy. Rowdy some dude named Rowdy drove in two-thirds of their runs over the course of a four-game series. Like, it's unbelievable. And Kristen Yelich did nothing. Lorenzo Cain did basically nothing. You know, the, some of the guys... That, Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas. Absel Garcia didn't do anything. And Garcia's not great, but he had a really good year. I was just expecting expecting more, but it speak, once again, it speaks to Charlie was great. Max was great. Ian, man. Ian Anderson. Just... That guy. Mm-hmm. He went out and shoved, especially considering how he's looked lately. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought that was one of the key uh, the key starts there was was Ian and the way he was able to perform versus what he'd been, you know, coming back from injury. And yeah, there'd been a couple starts here and there where had been, you know, looking pretty good, but nothing like he looked in that start against uh, against the Brewers where he he looked fantastic. That's going to be what you're looking to carry over into the second start. But we were going to talk about Freddie's home run, and I think that this this deserves a whole lot of talk because Freddie Freeman. You and I have both stated he's he's an Atlanta Brave. He's not going anywhere. Um, but after a moment like that, it essentially cements you as having to come back. Like there's there at at this point, if Freddie were to leave, you would have swaths of, of Braves fans who would follow Freddie and would not be Braves fans. Like at that point, it would be a, a betrayal not just to Freddie but to the fan base itself to not bring Freddie back after something like that. It's it is so hard to. That, that player in that moment doing that exact thing, like, it's so hard to contextualize everything about that moment. 
like the NLDS thing, okay, the the pressure's high, and that's and you're facing the best reliever in baseball. hasn't given up a home run to a lefty all year. hasn't given up a home run to anybody in three months. And first pitch knocked it out. And dude, that place was going effing berserk. You know, like and it was basically the same thing that he did uh, last year, or the year before, like first pitch slider, and almost to the same exact spot. Yeah, and and so if if he'd had his contract extension already, that moment wouldn't seem nearly as significant because, like, look, man, Freddie is he's a very joyous guy. You know, you see, you know, he's always smiling. He's he's you know he doesn't hug people as much as he used to. But, you know, that was always like his shtick. He's just such a joyous guy, and everybody loves to talk to him at first. But he's really stone-faced a lot of the time. He's really stoic. He doesn't have a lot of emotion. And I've watched the video of that home run like 50 times. And when it cuts away from the circus happening in center field, and it cuts back to Freddie when he's between first and second, you can see him screaming. And I would just remember watching that, going, oh, my God. Like you don't, you do not see that ever. And he comes around, and Valerie was next to me, and she's like, "I think he just literally high fived everybody, like hard, you know." And that moment was great, but the curtain call, like it's, it is so hard for me to even bring up the curtain call without getting a little emotional because that fist bump and that f yeah to the crowd, and he's just like, "Oh my god." Nobody else could have done that. It would not have been nearly significant. Like, look, it would have been great to go to the NLDS on what is as close to a walk-off as you can you can kind of get without it having, in, you know, it was close, but not not exactly. But, you know, if Adrianza came in and pinch hit and did it, it would have been cool. You know, and even if somebody like Ozzy had done it, or Dansby. But, like, Freddie's the guy, man. He's been around for so long, and I just... He's never leaving. He was already never leaving, but then... Standing in the middle of the field, celebrating, and the whole crowd is just chanting your name. Like, how could you ever leave that? I don't, and I think that's that's one of the key things there. And for Freddie in particular, you're talking about a guy who was brought along by the previous, like, the guy. Like, we could talk about every every team has their team leader. Every every kind of era of team or every sort of run of a team has their guy, their leader. But there are certain players in the annals of your team's history that are different. Guys like Hank Aaron or Eddie Matthews or Chipper Jones, which no matter what you think about Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and how amazing those guys were, Chipper kind of reigned supreme over them. When you when you think of Atlanta Braves, you know, if you're if you're, you know, mid thir- if you're forties or older, you probably think Hank or Dale. If you're, you know, my age or, or even your age, like it's Chipper. Chipper's that guy. And that's when Freddie came in, Chipper was that guy. And that's who Freddie kind of molded his, his, I don't want to say molded his game after, because Freddie has a game that's all of his own. But like the way he goes about things, the way he goes about trying to be on the field every single day, uh, or the way he goes about you know how he leads instead of being rah-rah on the field and yelling and screaming at people, it's more about you know him going out and doing his thing and people watching him do it. Whether or not you think that's always the best method or, or whatever, the way that Freddie approaches things like his home runs or any big moment typically is a lot more stoic the way that it was for Chipper Jones. But with that home run, I think Freddie got a moment that I personally don't recall seeing 
from Chipper Jones. Freddie got his seminal playoff moment. Like That was kind of the one thing that was missing from Freddie Freeman, as he'd had all these great seasons. He had the MVP now. He's the best first baseman in baseball. But he really hadn't done much in the postseason, other than the, the season where you only played 60 games. Shocker of all shockers. Don't want to cast any stones. Whatever. <laughs> but he really hadn't had a moment, like a singular, like when you think of Freddie Freeman in the playoffs, you think of this moment until now. He has that moment now. And I, honestly, my, my real thing is if Freddie finishes out his career here, is there a chance that he, I don't want to say overtakes Chipper, but that he gets put on that same pantheon of, of Atlanta Braves Mount Rushmore of like Chipper Jones? You know, man, I, I don't, Chipper will be, Chipper will be hard. But because he's the best third baseman of all time, you know, he Chipper is he was such an icon, you know, and he, he still continues to be. And and he's um, Freddie is, is a lot more insular than Chipper was. Chipper's pretty, pretty outspoken about some stuff. And Freddie keeps close to the vest a lot. But, you know, Chipper had, what, 19 years here. And by the time it's all said and done, you know, Freddie gets another contract. What's he, 32 now? He'll play another seven years or so. So by the time that happens, yeah, it'll be about about the same amount of time. You know, I, I haven't crunched the, the stats, but it, it, he's certainly going to be the last Brave to ever wear number five. You know that's happening. Even, even if he left... Even if Freddie went and signed with somebody else in the offseason, which he's not going to, I would immediately retire. I'd immediately retire. You know, he, like I wouldn't even have a question. Yeah, like he, it's not. It, he's there's no reason to ever let anybody wear that number again. I think, I think the distinction is being next to Chipper and not above. You know what I mean? Just, I mean, Chipper had some. Oh, yeah. for sure. Like I don't think you're going to be above. Right. Chipper. Like you're talking about one of the best, one of the top three switch hitters in all of baseball history, and. I say the best third baseman. You can make an argument that he's, you know, second behind Mike Schmidt, but but like that's the level, the caliber of player you're talking about. And for Freddie, it's always harder for a first baseman. But you're talking about he's sitting on 271 homers already. The way that he's been playing the last few years, you talk about another seven years as a Brave, seven or eight years, he could start approaching Chipper's home run totals. It's I've I've thought about Freddie's Hall of Fame candidacy a lot, and there there's certain things that I think he's going to need. Like you need you need gaudy stats, and as far as being a batter, you know Freddie's almost slashing 300, 400, 500 for for average OBP and slugging for his entire career. You know if he keeps up at his current rate, you know he's going to hit 450 home runs. Um, he if he hit, if he averages 28 a season uh, for the next seven years, he will. He will beat, uh, or if he averages twenty eight, and then one season has twenty nine, he'll beat Chipper's four hundred and sixty eight mark. I, I do not think it is out of the question for Freddie to to match Chipper on home runs. Um, I think if you get if you get a World Series championship for Freddie Freeman, and and he's able to maintain any semblance of the his current level of production, you were looking at a Hall of Fame player. I don't know if he's necessarily first ballot, but I mean, he's he's really, he needed that seminal moment that you're talking about. You think of some guys like, I yeah, agree. like Acuna, no matter what you think of Ronald Acuna, like, you always think of the Grand Slam against the Dodgers, even though it happened in like the third inning and we lost the series. That was, that place was insane. And you think of, Pujols hitting three in a game or and hitting one 
uh, above, like to hit the train above the Crawford boxes in Houston, <laughs> yeah, like sure what? And, and and guys like Ortiz, you know, these are guys that would be Hall of Famers on their own merits. If you don't even and Jeter, and, and if you don't even take their their postseason stuff into a into account. So once you start performing in the postseason, and Freddie's always been consistent. He was three for five in Game Four, so it, it certainly pulled up the numbers. But if you look at the averages and the uh, WRC plus and all that, like it's all pretty much in keeping with his regular season line. So, but having that big standout I think moment, Freddie's had a lot more of a. I think he's had a lot more of a Joey Votto career, where like there's been no question that he's been at the top of the heap for his position for basically his entire career. But now you're talking about a point where he has been definitively the best first baseman in baseball for at least the last three years, at least the last two, probably the last three. I would count 2019 last year and this year as three separate seasons. Um, so that's I think that's one of the things that helps in Hall of Fame talks is compared is comparatively to your peers, uh, and that's why I think Votto will get into the Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll be first ballot, but you're talking about Joey Votto being one of the best players, one of the most undersung, but probably the best first baseman in baseball over like probably a five or six year stretch. And you can argue Goldschmidt for a time, but really if you were to dig into it, Votto was probably the best first baseman. He was just on really bad Cincinnati teams, so you didn't notice him. I think that's part of the thing with Freddie. Freddie spent quite a bit of on bad Braves teams and colossally underachieving Braves teams. If they go on this big run now and he gets that World Series too, I think I think he's a shoe in. I don't know if I'll say first baseman, but I think or, or first ballot, but I think he's a shoe in. I think for sure he'll get in there, uh, and that, that's just an awesome thing to see from a guy like Freddie who you root for because he's just an awesome dude all the way through, regardless of how you feel about his his thoughts about playing every day, whatever. That's that is nowhere near a, a, something to, to hold against somebody as far as a Hall of Fame candidacy or whatever. That's just something that if you're not in that area, and if you're not in the locker room, like we can talk about it, and we do a lot. But it's not something you're going to understand being on the outside. you gotta be, You got to understand how the rest of the team views that as well to really get that in context. Um, but, but definitely one of my favorite playoff moments with the Acuna Grand Slam just fantastic. We were already talking about, oh, well, maybe we'll get the Max Fried walk-off in the postseason. And Freddie's like, nope, I got it myself. And he goes and he does that and gets the Braves to the NLCS, really with a team that, that has a lot of question marks heading into this next round with no Jorge Soler, with Adam Duvall forgetting how to baseball, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, but just just phenomenal way for the team to come back and win and set themselves up pretty for this whoever they face after whoever wins tonight. And speaking of sitting pretty, you're going to be sitting pretty if you use Symbol. I've talked about them earlier in the show. If you want to make some money, basically stock markets for sports teams, make sure you go to Symbol.com, www.simbull.com, and use our promo code SD to try it out risk-free. And if you lose, you'll get your money back. That's the promo code SD. And by Spotify Greenroom, if you like listening to us talk, but you kind of want to get a word in edgewise, best place to do that talk with us or any, any other baseball fans or any other sporting fans is download the Spotify Green Room app today on iOS or Android, link your Twitter, and get started and feel like you are a part of the action. And speaking of part of that action, this Giants-Dodgers game tonight, this is such a, a good postseason for the NL side of things. I don't know how it ranks for AL because to be frank, like none of my AL teams won. I was hoping for the Rays and I was hoping for the White Sox and instead I got the Red Sox and the Astros, so like I haven't really cared about the AL side of things as much, but for the NL side, man, you're talking about a series that was as good and as close as, Bra- as Atlanta and Milwaukee, which even though Atlanta won 3-1, to one, every single one of those games could have gone either way, all the way down to the wire. 
And then you talk about the San, the San Francisco and L.A. one, and it's almost like the exact opposite. It's tied, and Game 5 t- tonight is the most important game, obviously. But outside of that, these two teams are essentially, if, if, the, if the Dodgers win tonight, they tied the season series against the Giants and jump ahead of them by half a game as far as overall total records. Whereas if the Giants win, they win the season series by two. They move, and whoever wins obviously wins on to the next round. And I don't know if there's two teams that are so close as far as records and numbers that are built so completely differently. Yeah, yeah. And and you and I have been saying ever since like June, how are the Giants doing this? I don't, I don't how? understand. We looked at their depth chart today. <laughs> like, dude, Darren Ruff, Lamont Wade. I mean, Brandon Crawford is a million years old, and all of a sudden he's figured out how to be good again. Evan Longoria, like Donovan Solano, Wilmer Flores. I mean, you, Tommy Lastella. Where, where is this? Com- like, yeah, you have like Chris Bryant, sure. Yeah, you have Buster Posey, but even Buster Posey hasn't really been Buster Posey since like 2012. You're talking about a staff of like Kevin Gosman and and Alex Wood. As much as I love Alex Wood or Johnny Cueto. I mean, Scott Casimir was on their starting rotation in the year 2021. I legitimately thought that Scott Casimir retired like three years ago. I thought, same here. I thought when he, I thought when the Braves bought him out, I thought he was done. Like I thought he retired yeah. then. And and so now when it's it's look, it's easy to look at the Dodgers and we know how terrifying they are. And when you're looking at their lineup, it's like a who's who. You know what I mean? We there's no reason for us to be so familiar with all of the guys in in a team's lineup in the West. Like if I haven't heard of two thirds of the Giants bullpen, that doesn't bother me because we don't play them that often. But I know every single member of the Dodgers because I am terrified of them. And well, it's because they just go out and they find the best people, and then they pay them more than anybody else, or they trade that team more than somebody else would trade them. And they like they're a baseball super team. Like that's what they are. They basically took the in, the NBA model of just acquire everybody super amazing that you can and put them all on one team. That's what they are for baseball. Except that there's no other parity. There's no other teams that are doing that. And then you've got the Giants. They're just like, okay, can you do? Let me try to be the Rays, kind of but also just get these weird mix of players that really haven't been good and just roll the Cinderella slipper story and just keep it going. Like, I don't know what's in the water in San Francisco right now, quite frankly. Like, I, I do not understand how a team built like San Francisco that was, by the way, under 500 last season could jump from, you know, was it 29 and 31, I think I said, uh, mm-hmm. to a team that is 107 wins? How? When we did our... Uh, preseason predictions, I think we both had the Giants in fourth place in the West. Yeah, and I don't think I, I don't think that was anything like crazy to no, say. No, I meant it. I definitely meant that they were going to finish fourth. And and so... I mean, if you gave me that roster on paper, I'd predict it yeah, again. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, when I look at this team, they're not a 107-win team to me, but, that, but that's inconsequential because in the eyes of the... Because they did win. Right, and they wound up with home field advantage throughout. So... It's easy to look at the Dodgers and be like, okay, I'm terrified of them because, you know, Max Muncy is gone and now they're they're just getting the 2018 or 2019 MVP who sucked this year, but he was still the MVP the other day uh, to step in and just play first for them. You know what I mean? Like no matter what, the Dodgers entire roster is so incredibly deep, but regardless of whether it's 
good players on a deep team or a bunch of guys that we've never heard of that are somehow channeling St. Louis Cardinals devil magic just on the West Coast. You know, it's going to be a hard series no matter what, but I kind of don't care because I do think we are good enough to beat anybody. Like we were talking about with the way this team is designed for the playoffs and the way that you can um, trim the fat on the roster and you only start Freed Morton Anderson. And, you know, we've got our lineup, even if they're not always hitting, it's, it's not the Dodgers, but it's very name recognition worthy. You know what I mean? Not everybody's going to know who Guillermo Heredia is, but that's not his fault because Jorge Soler is on the on the COVID IL right now. I mean, our pitching is good enough to shut down any offense, and I want the Dodgers. I want to look them in the eye as we step over them on the way to the World Series. We didn't win a playoff series for 20 years, and how strange that barely a year after winning the first one, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to topple Goliath. Watch us go. You know? Now, it's it's funny because I think people that listen to us and have listened to us for years would have thought that if any of either of us were going to be the gung-ho, like, let's just go all the way out, I think people would have assumed that it was me. Like, you're typically the more reserved and the more logical of the two of us. My- and I'm over here like, nah, <laughs> give me that 2019 Nationals, man. Give me that easiest path. And then after we get the first one, now we can worry about settling all the scores. Like, I just want to get that first one out of the way. But the funny thing is, you and I don't agree on which team is the easiest one to beat. Like, my first instinct, looking at the two rosters, not looking at any of the stats involved, just looking at the two rosters, I would think that the Giants would be far easier for the Braves than the Dodgers. But there's an article that you read, and I have not read yet, from David Adler, um, that goes completely against that grain. And I got to tell you, when I'm looking at the show sheet right now and I'm seeing these numbers, I am shocked. Like, I, I, I would never have guessed this in a million years. Yeah, I, I, and I, when I looked back at the series, I actually, uh, the different series when we played the Dodgers, uh, we took two out of three at home and then got swept on the road. And I don't remember exactly how it shook out with San Francisco. I think they took four out of six uh, from us. But the my main takeaway was... I thought we split three and three. That, that actually, that might, that might be right. And we should have taken the season series, but Smith Smith yep. had an implosion at San yep. Fran. Okay. So, I... The games that we lost in L.A., it was a three-game series we lost by a total of four runs. That is why that week's episode was called Coin Flips, because it was close enough to where, if you replay all of those games, it is conceivable that we could have won all three. The Dodgers, and we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, and the, and that was the case for so many of those games. This is why I've I've had faith in this team, like even before we were getting above five hundred. When it's like we're not getting blown out ever, ever. We are in every single one of these games, at least for some of it, you know. So even the the teams that are you know the Giants won nineteen more than us in the regular season. Dodgers won eighteen. None of that matters now because you know we were once we hit five hundred, we actually were we wound up finishing the season 15 games over 500. So we were a much, much better team in the second half, as we all know. So just high level, and I, I will send out the link to this after we publish the episode, but David Adler, he writes for MLB, and he's really, really big into StatCast, and also follows me on Twitter, which I find to be really strange. Um, he put out this... That's a name yeah, Hey, you know, he... he it's just it's legitimately confusing like what do you want with me you know i i have plenty of business reading your stuff what do you want from me but so he does not follow me 
I'll send him a message. I can DM him directly, you know. So, so all right. So the, the couple of things <laughs> that, uh, that, that he mentioned in this article, he had five really good points for why the Braves actually want to face the Dodgers and not the Giants. Versus four-seam fastballs in 2021, the Braves had an expected, which I know is Dylan's least favorite type of stat, it is an, an expected weighted on-base average of 366, which was fourth best in the majors, and they had 107 home runs, which have second most in the majors, off of uh, four-seamers. And the Dodgers use uh, four-seam fastballs 42% of the time, as opposed to 28 for the Giants. So the odds of us, quote-unquote, running into one are much higher against the the Dodgers than it is for the Giants. We, as a team, hit Scherzer, Urias, and Bueller harder, a lot harder than we hit Webb, Gossman, and Wood. Uh, We hit eight home runs against Scherzer, uh, Urias, and Bueller. The only team that had more was the Padres, who played them 19 times. We played them six times. Um, 421 slugging percentage against those big three, as opposed to 247 slugging percentage against uh, Webb, Gossman, and Wood. So that's another reason we would want to face the Dodgers. Giants hit Freed, Morton, Anderson a lot harder than the Dodgers did. Now, this is where I'm shocked the most. This actually, like, I'm not that shocked about how we performed against Scherzer, Urias, and Bueller because we faced Scherzer 10 million times. If there's one team in the postseason that's the most familiar with Max Scherzer, it's this Braves lineup. Very true. And we, early earlier in the season, I think we put up four runs on Max in the first inning of a game. It was the, the one that Acuna mm-hmm. let, off, uh, let that game off. That was in that was that was the holy crap is Max done? Yeah, yeah, he he looked washed at the at the early part of that game, but so yeah against against the um, our big three, the Dodgers uh, had a a twenty nine point four percent strikeout rate, a two ninety six expected on base average, uh, and three sixty five expected slugging. All of those were uh, higher for the Giants, with the exception of the strikeout rate, which was seventeen point two. Uh, the 12% drop-off, that's that's pretty huge. Uh, also, the Giants were a lot better against lefty relievers. The numbers here are a little closer. It looked like he had a point that he wanted to... He had a certain number of points that he needed to make, so this was a little closer. But it does favor, in fact, that the Giants are better against lefty relievers uh, than the Dodgers are. So when you're looking at Smith, you're looking at Matzik, you're looking at Minter. Um, Dylan Lee didn't pitch in the NLDS, but you know he he's another lefty out there that they could utilize. So we would certainly. I would say there's a there's a quite a bit of difference in the FIP. Though, That's that is true. Which is more important to me than the ERA because the FIP tells me how they were performing off of the pitcher, and the FIP for the lefty relievers for Atlanta was five five one. Now the one thing that I will say about something like this article is you do have to take into account where the Braves were, respectively, at the points where they were playing these two teams. Very, very uh, true. And at the times that we're talking about it. I will say that when we're talking about uh, the Giants doing better off of Freed, Morton, and Anderson than the Dodgers did, the part about that, I think, with Anderson is the part that, that would make me look the most at. Where was Ian versus the Giants compared to where he was versus the Dodgers? Was he normal Ian versus the Dodgers and bad Ian versus the Giants? Because one of the starts, the Max thing. Yeah. Like I would swear that Max struggles against LA. Like I would swear that they're a team that's that's built to be able to handle him. Now these numbers tend to point the opposite direction, but just watching it, I would swear that Max would be a far better matchup for the Giants. The uh, most recent Ian start against the Giants. It was in late 
August, I think. And I think that was one of the ones where he had zero strikeouts, which could be where some of the some of that strikeout rate was going. But it's a good point regardless. True, yeah. Because even looking at that look even looking at that Giants lineup, I'd be like, dude, even if you're not on the top of your game, just looking at the guys on paper, you shouldn't be struggling. Yet everywhere else, even if you take that one part of it out, you're still seeing that this is pointing to the Giants being better than the Dodgers as far as matching up against the Braves. And that if you're a Braves fan, as crazy as it sounds, you probably should be rooting for for the Dodgers, for the Braves to face the Dodgers. Now, this is kind of one area where, like, this is going to be where I, shockingly enough, go against the numbers and just say gut instinct-wise, I do not want any part of this Dodgers team. Even if they have not played to the level that we thought they would for most of this, I still look at that look. I, I look at that lineup and I look at, at those pitchers and it terrifies me, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Like, just I know that obviously there are ways to get outs, and the Braves and this this these numbers obviously prove it. But when you look at them up and down, you're talking about facing them in a singular game, and you're facing them in person instead of on paper. You're just looking like, dude, where do you go to get runs? Where do you go to get outs? Like, there's nobody that you feel confident about. Like, like we 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 talked about this with Brand with Burns and Woodruff. Like, if they're on their game, you're just not scoring against them. I feel that way about every Dodgers pitcher. Like, from starting rotation all the way to Kenley Jansen. Like, if they're on, if, if Blake Trinan is on, you're not touching him. I mean, if, Brudo, if Bruce Dark Grotterol is throwing 103-mile-an-hour sinkers, you're not touching him. Well, yeah. But Grotterol, surprisingly enough, Grotterol is the guy that I think you could get to the most. And he's over here throwing 103-mile-an-hour sinkers. Like, it's... It's absolutely insane, and it's a good it's a good point to bring up these types of numbers because this is one of those breakdowns where the stats are supporting something that your eye test completely differentiates from. And this is one of those important points about seeing. Now, this is one of those types for either side, whichever whichever of these two teams win this, this is one of those points and how the Braves perform against either one of the next teams. This is one of those points that somebody who's a strictly stats guy could point to and say, see, you should have wanted the Dodgers. Versus somebody who's a, an eye test guy goes, see, you shouldn't have trusted those numbers. You should have trusted your gut against the Giants. Like, this is going to be one of those series that's going to break down along those lines. And it actually leads me to the fifth point that, that David had in his article. And this is the reason why I want to face the Dodgers. It's about facing your own demons. You know, I've used the example many times. The Braves are the early 90s Chicago Bulls. And the Detroit Pistons are being played by by the L.A. Dodgers. It took years for Jordan and the Bulls to finally get over that hump. And when they did, you know, they, they had to beat Detroit. They had to go in there and take care of business. They had to beat Isaiah and Dumars and Lane Beer and all those guys. It's just, you gotta slay the beast. You know what I mean? I look if we if the Giants win and then we beat the Giants and go to the World Series. Yeah, I guess I'm okay with that. But I really just want to I want to celebrate in front of them for a change because in 2018 they beat us on our home field. In 2020 they beat us in Texas. You know I, I want to I want it to happen here. I want I want Braves to face the Dodgers. I want Braves in six because that means that we will get to do it at home. And this is a fan base that, man, that was the first playoff win at home since 2001. You know, 
the one that they just had against Milwaukee. And this fan base, man, we endured a lot this year. We endured a lot. And just being able to be in it and finally be a part of it, we belonged there all along, even though we weren't playing well and all that heartache and everything. I did not get the chance to go to either Game 3 or Game 4, but it sounded loud. My goodness, man. It sounded so loud and intimidating. You know, Dodger Stadium is a scary place to go play, but so is Truist. You come in here with a whole bunch of Braves fans who every single one of us is going to have a chip on our shoulder about the Dodgers. Nobody cares about the Giants. We don't have beef. We haven't had beef with the with the Giants in 10 years. They haven't been relevant in, in a minute, you know? So now... It's time. It is time for us to show up and win it fair and square and and march on. We have it's World Series or bust this year. I said I said it last week. I think there's something to I think there's something to that. Uh it could also like I'm fully willing to admit that it's almost a little bit of the little brother syndrome for me. Yeah. Like I'm terrified of the giant of the Dodgers just slapping down us as the little brother. This must be what's like for a Georgia Tech fan to like face Georgia every Ooh. year. Uh, shots fired so shots fired a little bit but it's also true like that when you do win like it's gonna be the best feeling ever if you're the one that beats them to move on to the final round like i get that part just like like there's part of me that i wanted the cardinals to beat the dodgers not just because it would make the path easier for the braves but also because i wanted to embarrass the cardinals like i i totally get that part of it this is just me being cowardly i guess is what it boils down to is i'm a little bit of a coward in this respect uh, I'm not being full of bluster or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not super confident. I guess that's what it boils down to. Is maybe I don't have the same level of belief as, as some of you other ones right now. But uh, it's certainly interesting either way, and it, it makes for for crazy suspenseful uh, games. Which means, I mean, we're talking about the game gets underway in about an hour and fifteen minutes, and we're going to say this in closing before we get ready. Like I'm going to watch this game from oh, from starting pitch all the way to the final pitch, unless it gets out of hand one way or another. But like I, I, I would not usually go out of my way to watch the Dodgers, and especially not to go out of my way to watch a Gabe Kapler-led San Francisco Giants. Like <laughs> that's how crazy this is for for this Braves team, and and how weird it is to look at where we were a month ago, and look at the look at the thought process behind this team now. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Uh, so so kudos to the Braves and kudos to Freddie. Um, but I'm with you. Let's go all the way with this. This is this is the the type of year where crazy stuff happens. This is the 2019 season all over again. And in 2019, it was the 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 uh, Nationals knocking off the Dodgers. So I mean, you know, it would be kind of poetic. Strange to do that. Stranger again. things have happened, man, and and you never and forget that. This is a better team than the 2019 Nationals. So I think that's part of it as well. Is maybe underselling a little bit what this Braves team is. And how well they're built for the postseason, um, but we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. I'm excited to see where we're at next week. Talking about this, uh, we'll still be in the middle of the NLCS, I would assume, if unless things go horribly. Uh, NLCS game one would be Saturday, so either way, it's perfect for the Braves. If this series goes five, the Braves get to relax a little bit and get themselves ready and loose, whereas the Giants and the Dodgers have to burn one of their major starting pitchers. I believe the Giants are using... Giants have announced Logan Webb already, if I'm not I mistaken. I think so, yeah. Um, and then the the Dodgers are starting Corey Knable and then bringing in Julio Arias after that, which means that the Dodgers... I actually think the Dodgers are going a little bit... Um, I think the Dodgers are being a little bit more gambly in nature. 
trying to set themselves up in the NLCS by being able to, to run through Scherzer and then Bueller uh, and then leave Urias for later on versus the Giants who are just going all out saying, all right, here's Logan Webb, have fun with this guy instead of using somebody else or, or using any combination of guys. They're, they're just going balls to the wall and saying, hey, here's our best guy. We'll figure out game one of the NLCS when we get there. we got to get there first. So I, I like this matchup as well. So I'm very excited for tonight. I know you are too. And for everybody else out there, I hope you guys enjoyed this very long episode. Uh, again, we've been doing this all the postseason where we go a little bit longer than we think we're going to go. But uh, let's keep this feeling going. We'll get ready for, uh, for, for game five tonight between them, and we'll see who the Braves get to, uh, get to take on on Saturday. And looking forward to the Braves in another NLCS with an actual starting rotation this time and see how, how different the narrative can change in a single season. I'm just ready for it. And, and how, how funny, how funny that we, you know, you, we started the show talking about how we, we're the, the winningest Braves podcast. I don't know about the regular season, but I certainly know that uh, we've, we as a podcast have done pretty well over the last two years. We, we have never had to endure a, a season during which we did not win the division, and half of the seasons we have done this, we have won playoff series. So it's like, uh, I don't know. We just want to keep keep this feeling going, keep this feeling going, and uh, I got faith in this team. We're we're going deep, dude. We're gonna win. We're gonna win the World Series, Dylan. You heard it there from Doc Herbert. Uh, Doc was the good luck last week, so I'm not going to say anything this week at all about either way. But for those of you out there, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Mm-hmm.